Hey guys, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I'm back at it again. I'm gonna keep just giving shout outs to my consistency because that's what keeps me going. We're back again with the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast, aka Curvy Geeky Fangirl recaps. This is the space where I just recap all of the geeky fun things that I caught throughout my week because I'm an adult who does a lot of adulting. So when I get to get go over geeky stuff, it's a moment. It's a time to celebrate. So, yep. So that being said, I'm going to be covering all kinds of fun, fun things. It's been a nice little geek windfall of stuff happening. Midnight Texas came back. Daredevil was released uh, last week. I finally finished that series. I binged The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina that also dropped on Netflix this past weekend. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. And of course, all the DC TV that has hit up. So that's what I'm going to be covering. I'm going to be covering DC TV. I'm going to be covering the latest episode of American Horror Story Apocalypse, The Return of Midnight Texas, my thoughts on Daredevil. It's not going to be super long. Yep, that's going to be the preview to that. And The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I mean, holy cow, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. As just like, just to let you guys know where I'm at with the Sabrina stuff, the only Sabrina I know is the one from Archie Comics, the, the happy-go-lucky, chipper, always in a, a positive attitude and headspace Sabrina, and also the Melissa Joan Hart version of Sabrina. Like, also super poppy, super positive, real little kiddish, like... The most dark, the darkest thing maybe was like she chose to wear a, a dark blue for her outfit like that, that. So watching the chilling adventures of Sabrina, not knowing about the comic series. Holy cow. So definitely gonna be going into feelings on that. And I was gonna say more, but not really. That's it. This is it. This is it. Just TV shows all the live long day. So stay tuned for that. As you guys know, with this podcast in particular, I get straight into spoilers. I very, I really tried. I tried to do the non-spoiler feels and then the spoilery bits. I can't do it. I can't do it. I have to go straight into spoilers. I like spoilers. Spoilers don't scare me. But understandably, if spoilers aren't your thing, this is the warning. Check out that stuff. Kind of dip into it. Let it soak. Come back. Come back. We'll have a conversation. We'll talk about what was going on. Because there was a lot. There was a lot going on. So uh, real quick, selfless. I'm not selfless, but selfish. Plug here. You can find me on all my socials. Instagram, Twitter, CurvyGeekyFangirl.com. I'm also a contributor for For All Nerds. If you check out my stuff over there as well. And of course, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Because it does. It's like almost everywhere. It's almost everywhere. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Stitcher. I'm on uh, iTunes. I'm on Google Podcasts, Google Play. You know what? I'm never going to look it up. So I'm just going to keep saying both of those. I'm on all kinds of stuff. So if you listen to me through any of that, if you listen to me through Anchor, that's the best way to be like a back and forth dialogue because you can leave messages and I might even put them in a show. Just saying. So all of that, all of that. I'm going to be jumping into my DC TV recap. I'm going to mash all the shows together as seamlessly as possible because it's dc tv it's week after week it's not super layered so there's that 
but it's also not super simple. So yeah, I'm just going to mash it all together so I can get to the bigger, the big stuff, which is going to be American Horror Story Apocalypse, The Return of Midnight Texas, and basically The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Like, oh, the cow, I can't get over it. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So stay tuned for all of that. We'll be jumping into DCTV right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things, and we discuss a lot of different topics. That's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right, DC TV. So it was a nice week of DC TV, uh, especially since I don't watch Arrow. So if you're looking for an Arrow recap, that's not it's not happening here. I really tried with Arrow. If you listen to any of the previous episodes, I talk about my tries with Arrow. Like I, I started it in the first season and then I was like, nope, I'm not watching uh, Batman 2.0. Gave up on it. And then uh, on the, well, the tip from my brother, he was like, you should check it out. So I binged the first season on Netflix. It was like, okay, together as a whole story, not so bad. Binge the second season. Also not too bad. Got into the third season. I was like, mm, no. Got into the fourth season. I was like, uh, yeah, no. And then that's it. I haven't watched anything else. So and I didn't even finish the fourth season. So there's that. Uh, but outside of that, watching everything else. Supergirl, watching. Black Lightning, watching. The Flash, and even Legends of Tomorrow. So basically almost all, all of the shows. All of the shows except for Arrow. That being said, let's go ahead and dive into last week's DCTV. Let's <laughs> talk about those things. Supergirl is doing some really interesting things right now with their setup for a xenophobic storyline or storytelling storylines, storytelling, whatever. We know from the first couple of episodes that they're going hard into this, this the real life issues that we're facing when it comes to immigration and the, and the world kind of what they think about that and how they're feeling about that um, and how it's not always positive and how quickly it can escalate when you're not paying attention or you get kind of complacent like Supergirl did and thinking that, oh no, the world's fine. Nothing's wrong. What are you talking about? Oh, what? It's terrible? That's right. It is. I forgot it's terrible. So dealing with all of that, uh, we had a standout moment with Nia in this previous episode. She... I Okay, so I didn't know the importance of this character, um, both through the comic and through the casting of this character of Nia. Um, amazing, first of all, in the character. However, how she is the first uh, transgendered to be superhero on the show. Fantastic. The only thing I wasn't really feeling was her speech to James. Granted, this was supposed to be a whole speech about not being complacent and not realizing the importance of taking a stand, especially during the period that they're dealing with right now with this, this whole earth first, you get the, you get the moment there. You get to see where that's going, you know, humans before aliens type of rhetoric that's happening. And Nia kind of urging Jimmy to 
use the CatCo media label to pick a side, basically to make a stand and talk about how they're not going to tolerate certain things. And they even so much as played out an event at CatCo where you had one of the interns, workers, what are these people, these young people? She had a whole moment where I guess she was, te- she thought she was teasing another coworker when she was just really being a bigot and uh, giving him a hard time for being an alien. Like you see that and you see James take it seriously and then like him kind of like thinking back on Nia's words, like, hmm, okay. Here's my thing about that whole speech though. They paralleled it with Nia's uh, identity as a trans woman and how, you know, when, when she was doing her transition uh, before she was passing, you know, she had to deal with a lot of stigmatism, stigmatization and bullying and bigotry uh, because she was a trans woman. Even after it comes out that she's a trans woman, she still has to deal with some stuff. Okay. And then she goes on to tell, it, it was phrased like, James, you don't understand what it's like to be considered an outsider in this world. And I was like, um, wouldn't he? No? Okay. I find it very interesting with the show, especially uh, last season when they try to touch on race a little bit. They went to Jean and his dad, who are Martians for the show. They're not actually black men for the show. They're Martians on Earth posing as black men. And they talk to them about how hard it is to be a black man in this fictional world. They never went to James, who is an actual black man living in this, again, fictional world. They never went to James for that. And now we have a topic coming up about bigotry and prejudice and what it feels like to be on the negative end of that. Well, I don't think there's any positive sides to that, but you know what I mean? To be the person that it's about. And we're supposed to believe that James has no idea what she's talking about or that he's thinking she's talking out of turn. Like I was, I wasn't buying that part of the rhetoric, but otherwise, fantastic episode. I like where they're going with everything. Although we still have like some loose ends here that they kept hinting at during the first episode with the Russian Supergirl who may or may not be showing up at some point. Other things, uh, we got a little bit more into the Son of Liberty. I got to give it to them with that name. And I, I wonder if that's an actual comic book character. I'm not going to go look this up. But especially now in the real world, we're getting a lot of uh, groups with those types of names. Sons of Liberty, um, Sons of the Confederate, um, Sons of, um, you know, yeah, Sons of the Founders or something like that. A lot of people who are quick to quote out of context things that what they deem the founding fathers have said in regards to whatever it is they're trying to talk about and just kind of twisting and warping those words like, okay, but gaining following. So it's very, it's very interesting to see how that's working and whoever, oh, it's Sam Witter. Sam Witter is playing the guy under the the mask for the Son of Liberty or Agent of Liberty. There you go. That's what he's calling it. Agent of Liberty. He, He is a fantastic narrator. He's a fantastic speaker. And that is dangerous. If you've ever gone, oh, I don't know. So, I, okay, flashback. I went to a Museum of Tolerance field trip uh, back in my school days when I was in California. I went to LA, went to the Museum of Tolerance out there. And one of the things that I took away from that trip when we got our, our whole little tour from our tour guide was her pointing out examples of like Hitler and Stalin and, and and just these leaders who helped 
well, did horrific things in history, did terrifying, terrible things to their own people in history. But what they had in common, and one of the things they had in common was how well they spoke, like how charming they were when it came to their speeches, like how they could draw in a crowd and get people engaged and get them to follow them. Like that was something that they all shared. And this is definitely something that's happening with this agent of liberty. When he's given his speech to the crowd about being anti-alien and putting Earth first, that his tone is dynamic. The way he's drawing everybody in, you can see how people would hear what he's saying, the vague references he's making about how, you know, their lives would be better off doing it this way versus another way, how they would just go with that, especially given how unsafe everybody's feeling right now with everything that's been happening to them, especially in National City, which I love that this show is doing right now. I love that they are showing the real life repercussions while tying, tying it into what's happening socially right now and how these people would feel. I mean, a lot of times in comics, you get these huge battles. You get the heroes going off to save everything. And there's no, there's no other story about what's happening to the people in the meanwhile, like the regular people that are having to deal with the craziness. We're starting to see a lot of comic movies kind of pick up that trope you saw with Avengers, with them dealing with the aftermath of everything going down and how they try to tie it into the Geneva Conventions Act thing. I completely forgot what they call it. Accords? The Geneva Accords? Something. Whatever. That thing. You see how they try to tie it into that? You saw it with the unfortunate Batman versus Superman where they tried to show like the unrest everybody else was feeling in the aftermath of Man of Steel. It was sloppy, but it was there. It was there, like how the trust had shifted and people were getting concerned. And now we're seeing it in Supergirl. They're doing a really good job. They're doing a really good job, I think, of showing the displacement and the widening gap of people who feel like they're no longer part of that narration of their own space, of their own their own cities. So that's pretty much what happened in the second episode of Supergirl. I'm kind of going into what happens in the third episode of Supergirl because I just finished it, but I will save that for next week's situation. So that was happening uh, in Supergirl. I still need more Brainy. I like the moment Nia and Brainy had. I don't know if that was purposeful. I don't know if that was just because chemistry between the two actors or what, but it was a cute little moment, but who knows? Who knows where they're going with that? Um, I think they have gone on to say that like this season's gonna not is not gonna focus on Kara's love life, which on the one hand, great, because the Monel storylines, again, I go back and forth on this all the time. When it first started, I was a fan. I thought it was super cute. But then it dragged on way too fucking long. Really, really into another season long. We didn't need it. So on the one hand, I'm good. I'm glad for the break. But on the other hand, the hopeless romantic in me who constantly wants everybody paired up, I want to see the brainy Supergirl interaction. Like, you teased it. Now you got to show it. Anyway, one day, one day. Uh, moving on to Black Lightning. Black Lightning, biggest takeaways for me for Black Lightning was the return of seeing Maxine. So if you don't know who Maxine is, she was on Living Single. I need to look up this woman's real life name because I only know her as Maxine. Just so... <laughs> What is her actual name? But anyway, she came on. Erica, here he goes, Erica Alexander. I know her as Maxine Shaw, the the iconic, irreplaceable Maxine Shaw. She hasn't aged a day. This woman does not age. She's immortal. She is playing the uh, 
therapist. We're going to go with therapist for Jen on Black Lightning. They do kind of just plunk her into the episode, but whatever, I'm here for it. All of the Erica Alexander we can get, I will take it. I will take it. Jen's still doing her teen thing and just hating everything and like wiling out of control with her life. Okay. But, you know, we get to some point where Maxine, that is not her name for the show, but it's what I'm going to keep calling her. So Eric Alexander's character manages to reach Jen at some point and they start to build a foundation to hopefully get Jen ready to really embrace herself as... I want to say lightning. I don't know what her superhero name is. Maybe that one. But we feel it feels like it's on a better path than it had been with Jen just like freaking out all the time and not knowing what to do with herself. So there's that. Um, I also don't feel sorry for Lynn. So Lynn's having a whole issue with Agent Odell. Agent Odell is giving her all kinds of shade and side eye he hates her he does not like her and he's honest about it he's like i don't like you we saw that in the first episode when she came back and to be fair i'm kind of on his side he's basically like you just rearranged a bunch of ish to get what you wanted here you here it is here's what you got now you gotta fucking deal with it we want this person to be involved and i don't care if you don't want her to be involved she's gonna be involved yes she was a crazy super villain who you're never gonna trust but whatever bitch this is what we gotta work with <laughs> so lynn's kind of throwing or pouting about how she has to make these adjustments for this, this agency he's like i don't care and on the same hand i kind of agree with him she jumped first feet first into this endeavor and didn't even think about the consequences. Kind of like her daughter, Anissa. So let's talk about Anissa's rash ass decisions. She's still out here just fucking up thugs and taking their money and throwing it at the church. Eventually, this is going to catch up to Anissa. Eventually, these short-sighted rash decisions to just fix things the way she thinks she's fixing them is definitely going to catch up to her. And I'm wondering how right now. So I'm pretty sure her love life is going to explode. I'm pretty sure. She was all head over heels about the singer. And then she maybe dropped the singer and is back with the other girl she liked from the first season. Kind of. They're starting something. I'm waiting for that to butt heads and to blow up in her face. So that's something that's going on as well. Also, we had Black Lightning trying to convince Khalil to give up Tobias's whereabouts. I don't. Okay, so Khalil, for all intents and purposes, especially through the first season, I mean, we sh- we saw the turn. We saw him start out as this nice guy, good head on his shoulders, nice moral compass for Jen, get a terrible tragedy put upon him, got shot, lost the use of his legs, felt like he had nothing, and then gets this attention from Tobias, who seemingly fixes a bunch of stuff for him, but clearly at a cost. It's Tobias. He doesn't do things to be nice. And now we're seeing the repercussions of him making the choice to join Tobias. Tobias is violent. He's crazy abusive. And he is constantly on Khalil's ass, especially now that Cyanide, his other sidekick, is gone. And he's shorthandedly blaming Khalil for all of it. Khalil gets to a point where he actually is a part of somebody's death. And I say a part of and not the cause of because he didn't really kill this guy. He went to rough him up. This guy decided to go run away. He, in a 
quick, quick haze of decision, decided to shoot something at this kid to stop him from getting away, which resulted in this kid falling over a banister and dropping a f- a, f- a flight, a, f- a story. He dropped hard. He dropped hard from a nice high place. So, and it, he killed him. The drop killed him. So it, he didn't really murder the kid, but he also was not innocent in this accident. So it was random. I don't know if this was supposed to show us that Khalil now is a stone cold killer or if he is further down a pass path that's going to quickly unravel and be his downfall. Either way, not looking good for Khalil, but you got Black Lightning trying to go after him and be like, I know this ain't you. I know you care about your moms, yada, yada, yada. I, I don't think Khalil's going to turn. I don't think he's going to suddenly be this nice guy and join Team Lightning. I don't see that happening. Clearly, it's going to be a him and Jen showdown at some point while fighting. And I feel she's going to take him out. Bam. I said it. I'm putting it out there. Um, What else? What else happened on Black Lightning? That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it for Black Lightning. Uh, moving on to The Flash. Fla- the Flash episode was pretty... I'm like, oh, I was boring. This, this Flash, I don't, okay. Flash has this, this way about it where it starts out promising or at least familiar. And then it just quickly kind of gets sleepy. Just what, what's happening? We're in, I think it's the third, third, fourth episode of the Flash. They titled it The Death of Vibe. First of all, don't scare me like that. You cannot kill off Cisco. Don't do it. Secondly, it was kind of the death of vibe. So we had a whole standoff with the Cicada person. We got a little bit of backstory about Cicada. Joe manages to put together Cicada is a father. And we even get a flash of him visiting a child in a hospital who we're assuming is his daughter. Well, having an attitude with the doctor. I don't know how he's got this relationship with the doctor or how this doctor is aware that he's doing terrible things. And she's just like, whatever. No story behind that. We just get these little glimpses. He also went after Cisco and decided he was going to go ahead and kill Vibe. And they had to make it look like he had to kill Vibe. And they do this weird backwards trick that they kind of set up in the first part of the show. It was weird. Whatever. The only good things I liked about this episode was the secret of, or yeah, the secret around the connection between Nora and Cicada. So we have our wells for this season because we're never going to not have a season of Flash without a wells. Whatever. So we've got a, Sher- a Sherlock wells for some reason with a terrible French accent. And he's annoying. But his annoyance aside, he brings in a nice plot point for Nora, which is that she may not be a full 100 with everybody. And how and why she's sticking around for Team Flash. So he brings up a point of like <clears throat> how it may not be her idea for her to stick around in the timeline that she's currently in, which kind of opens the door to it being like a joint decision with somebody. And now they're dealing with the after effects of that because they're already talking about how things are starting to shift. Uh, this particular Sherlock supposedly hunted down Cicada like a bunch of times in other timelines or other dimensions or other earths. Uh, but it's always been a different part. It's been the same guy, which is not the current guy who's Cicada. And they had a whole thing where they went after the guy who they thought was Cicada, wasn't him, yada, yada, yada. He, w- he just was really weird and flaky. And I'm not sure what they're doing with this one. But he brought up a really good point of what exactly is Nora doing 
and can she really be trusted? So that was interesting. But that was it for Flash. And then even with Legends of Tomorrow, not missing much. I mean, it's the first episode back, so we're not going to get a whole, whole lot. Um, there's no Wally, there's no Jackson, and there's no Maya. So I'm like, why am I watching the show? Like, it's just a bunch of white people. I understand that they're not all white. The girl whose name I cannot remember, who's also a stone holder, gem holder, whatever holder, she's not white. But I'm just like, I don't care about anybody here. So, but eventually, apparently, Amaya is coming back, but not as Amaya, as somebody named Charlie. Not there yet. Also, Constantine would be another reason for me to watch it. He was barely in the episode. They kind of hinted at him here and there. He kept going on and on about how he wasn't joining their team. Um, but probably will end up joining their team. And it's Legends of Tomorrow, so you're not going to get, like, a heavy storyline. It's going to be fluff. And it was. We had a killer unicorn on the loose in Woodstock. Sure. I mean, this show is not something you watch to, like, critique and really get deeper meanings into. (laughs) It's a show you watch because it's late on, like, a Tuesday And you're like, why not? I'll just check it. I'll just check it out. So it's good for what it is. I will say that. It was nice to see some familiar faces and have the silly adventure. Um, But I'm going to hold out and hope that it's going to turn around. Usually it takes a little bit for it to warm up. Uh, This is supposed to be its demon season. That's why Constantine's here. So we'll see. We'll see how that all goes. And then I'm going to be moving on into American Horror Story Apocalypse right after this. Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, jumping into American Horror Story Apocalypse, the latest episode of American Horror Story Apocalypse. It's the seventh episode. It's the seventh episode. I just want to reiterate that. To be fair... This has been a very interesting season of of American Horror Story. I definitely fell off after Hotel. I couldn't even tell you what happened with Cult or Roanoke. Was there another one in between that? Maybe. I, I haven't been watching for a, quite a few seasons after Hotel. Hotel didn't really do a lot for me. I couldn't get into it. So I kind of just fell off it. But this has definitely brought me back into the fold my gripes about all of the standalone Michael episodes aside, it's been very, very interesting. It's been very intriguing and just like pulling you in when it comes to storytelling. Granted, it's not the storytelling I want it to be. And I definitely really, really wish that they had organized these episodes slightly differently. But the story's still compelling. I'm still sticking around with it. And This episode for me was the episode I wanted three episodes ago. So we're finally starting to sew up this flashback. Mind you, we are still in the flashback. So all this buildup about the planning the witches have against Michael, this buildup of around the betrayal with the warlocks, even the buildup about Michael and this Satanist group, Satanist cult, 
and how they're trying to also like help him rise to power. We know the outcome of all of this. This this buildup isn't going to lead us into, oh, well, they make it. We know they don't. We know <laughs> we know that Michael succeeds. We know that Michael instigates and creates the apocalypse. Like, I'm not sure why they're building the stakes that they are when we know it ultimately fails. But whatever. So this new episode, um, we start to see the witch's plan kind of coming together. They're... They're trying to get uh, witches that had kind of strayed from the coven back into the fold. We get our mind reader, but previously it had been Nan, but Nan was murdered by um, the previous Supreme, Fiona, uh, which is Cordelia's mom. And we kind of, we, instead we get uh, Joan Collins. She's the new mind reader. I gotta give it to her. She she did the damn thing being this mind reader and with Myrtle. That whole there are scenes together, amazing. And I liked how they utilized her ability, especially with the warlocks, to get a real feel on what's happening with the warlocks. Shout out though to DB Wong. I love that he plays this like I don't wanna say jovial, but like this like he's the easier one to get along with between the two warlocks that they're having dinner with dinner with, because you've got the what is his name? The high priest, I want to say. The other leader. The leader of the warlocks. And you have D.B. Wong's character. And D.B. Wong's character kind of plays off like this. Like, yes, I still want Michael to rise to power. I still want him to be the supreme. But I'm willing to, like, have an enjoyable conversation with you when really none of that is true. None of that is true. He's very much a smile in your face as I twist the knife further, further into you. So not even in your back. Just right there in, in your face. So love that. I actually liked the, I don't want to say bitchy part of it, but that shady, that shady bitchy part of it was really good. Um, what else? Oh, big moment we had was their ultimate plan to get rid of the witches. He came up with some kind of powder they were released into the air, just like in Supergirl, when they dispersed the kryptonite into the air, they were going to disperse some kind of anti-witch situation into the air to kill them all instantly. Okay, we find out from Cordelia that that's actually a repurposed recipe from a witch who was trying to kill something else. I don't know if she was clear that she was trying to kill other witches or warlocks or just humans in general, but it's something bad and they had to stop her. But it's enough to sentence these guys to death. They're actively planning the death of these witches and they catch them in the act and now they gotta go. So we see them tie that up. Uh, We see them... Uh, bring back Cheyenne Jackson's character to life uh, so that they can also take the task. Uh, what's her face? And I don't even, Kathy Bates's character, who is, who I think Kathy is having a lot of fun playing this lady, playing this Satanist loving Michael r- raising uh, crazy person. I think she's really having a good time with it. And so, they they take they find out who she is. They send Coco after her. Clearly as bait. Poor Coco. And catch capture her. It ends up in the, the death of all three of them. Boom, 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 boom. I don't know why they were all like, and that's it. We are taking Michael down with this. I mean, it's been established that Michael is far more advanced and far more powerful than needing these three. But whatever. Sure. I guess take a win where you get one. 
I don't, who knows? We saw the return of Papa Ligba. We got a return of Nan. We got to see them. Nan was quick in a flash. I was a little confused as to why Nan was in hell, though. I mean, I understand Papa Ligba had that deal with Marie. I forget why Fiona also was required for it. Because Fiona tried to make a deal with Papa Legba, but he was like, you have no soul. So there's no point in me doing this. Um, <coughs> or if she was just instrumental in getting Nan, I don't remember. But for whatever reason, Nan is trapped in hell. She's working with Papa Legba. And she seems to be having a good time. So I'm like, okay, well, I mean, on the one hand, scary. But on the other hand, okay, sure. Uh, and the only reason we get the Papa Legba uh, cameo is because Cordelia is basically like scrambling to find resources to beat Michael. So she meets up with Dinah. Dinah is apparently the queen of the voodoo scene right now. After Marie's departure, Dinah took up residence as the new queen. And she's been touring rich people, trying to figure out or trying to make a living, basically. Just like going after cheating husbands putting hexes on pettiness doing that thing but also establishing that like she shouldn't have to be doing this anyway we know at some point because this is all flashback she somehow gets out of that and goes into the talk show circuit so somewhere in there she does that and it has to do with part of the spell i'm assuming the girls put on them for some reason like we still don't have answers as to why they lost their memories uh, how they got, how the witches even knew about the safe house and uh, why Michael said he murdered everybody. So we're still nowhere closer to that. We are seven episodes in. Anyway, what else happened in this episode? We also got, nope, that's it. That's it. That's all we got. Oh, um, well, they kind of showed that Coco has a new ability. She can count calories. They further show that Mallory's going to be the Supreme, which I'm still not really on board with. I'm still, I th maybe it's because we don't have a whole bunch of information from Mallory. She kind of just plays this one-toned character, like literally monotone character, who just is supposed to be humongously powerful because they said so. Like that's really it. I mean, like well, most of the other characters, even with, definitely with Michael, we got the buildup. We see why they are in the position of power that they're in. But with Mallory, she's just like, I showed up and I'm doing stuff and now I'm going to be the special like that. I don't, I'm not rooting for this character. I know she was supposed to. She's clearly going to be the yang to his yin or vice versa or whatever. Basically his, his equal in terms of ability. But I don't care about her. So there's that. I mean, at this point, I'd rather it be Coco. I'd rather it be Coco who like figures out how to do all this somehow and manages to beat Michael. That would be a better story for me right now than having it be Mallory and no shade to Billy Lord who's playing this character. I think she's doing the best she can with the material that she's being given because it's not a whole lot. It's not a whole lot we're getting from Mallory. We're just getting that she's mad powerful and that's it. So, yeah, okay. I think they were trying to establish in the early episodes that she was this mad underdog. She's the assistant to Coco. She's been doing a lot of really terrible ratchet ass shit for Coco. And now it turns out she's going to be this powerful witch, which would be cool if it wasn't told to us seven episodes ago. We're still in this damn flashback. 
Again, there's only 10 episodes to this damn series, which either tells me that these next few episodes are going to be boom, 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 like amazing off the bat. They've got to be because they have to tie everything up really fast. So I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. On to Midnight Texas. So Midnight Texas, guys, is back. Yay. Midnight Texas was a summer series that ran in 2017. Yeah, 2017 for NBC. It was supposed to be like a quick summer snack for us to watch. It is from Charlene Harris. She is of True Blood fame. So you know it's going to be over the top. It's going to be crazy campy and full of sex. That is her stick. That's what she does. Let's not pretend it's going to be a layered situation. It's not. But it deals with supernatural aspects. And I love that about this. Like, you know, going in, some kind of love tryst situation is happening. A witch, a ghost, or monster of some kind is also going to get involved. Deal with it. Also, <laughs> there's, there's going to be some sort of team up adventure. We're going to go full Power Rangers. Everybody's got to put their hand in, go team, fix the problem. That's usually how this is going to go. So uh, with Midnight Texas, we get Manfred. Uh, Okay, so extra spoilers here. If you read any of the articles, um, especially like TV Line or any of the other, I don't want to say Entertainment Weekly, other, other types of publications like that, TV media publications, they talk about the casting for Midnight Texas, who's coming back, who's not coming back type of thing. And when you look at the cast promo pictures of who's making up season two, there's some people that are clearly missing. Rev is gone. You don't see Rev. You don't see Chewy on Joe's arm at all. You see some other guy there. You're like, okay, what's going on? I mean, Fiji and Bobo are still there. Manfred's standing by himself. And then there was a new chick in this picture who we find out her character's name is Patience. And I'm like, okay. Oh, and of course, you've got Lem and Olivia still holding it down. Cool. That's all you see. And when we get our first episode back, you see you see the makings of why some of these changes have shifted. Not entirely. They don't lay it out for a couple of those characters. But you see at least why Manfred's by himself in these promo pictures. And in the articles, they talk about how uh, the girl who plays Creek it left the show. Is either Yeah, was trying to leave the show in some capacity. And Rev also left the show. Um, and then like feel like later down the line, Chewie eventually does because those promo pictures aren't showing him at all. So that being said, with Manfred, we get the whole, I like that they caught us up exactly where they left off. Last season of Midnight Texas, they had to face down uh, a demon called Kolkanar, who was after Fiji for her virginity. Because sure, she was a virgin witch because um, some terrible things had happened. And she tried to lose that virginity. It wasn't, didn't go down well. And now this demon was trying to make his way back to earth. And the only way he could do that was with a virgin witch. Because sure. And of course, the way to fix that is for her to have sex. And she did. She did it for the team. She did it for the world. So thank you. Thank you, Fiji. Sure, she may have done this with somebody she completely loved and was humongous, who was ridiculously gorgeous. I mean, everybody has to make sacrifices. So appreciate you, Fiji. So that went down. She had to do that, but they also still had to deal with the demon itself. And that's where Manfred came in. As a psychic, as somebody who can commune with the dead, and then they kind of they kind of hinted in the last season that he could also control the dead to a degree. He calls on these demons who are attached to these objects because it's Midnight, Texas. A lot of stuff gets drawn to that. They're near, it's very Sunnydale or Sunnyvale. 
Sunnyvale, I want to say. Like, Hellmouth. They're very close to <laughs> to that type of energy. Supposedly the veil there between living and dead is just super, super thin. So we're talking rice paper. So a lot of things are drawn to this place, uh, including these demonic objects for some reason. And Manfred gets a hold of a bunch of them, gets six demons into him. So he has this power to face Kolkinar. Works. And then we get the hint that it may have worked a little too well. He starts to cough up black goo, which usually means demon blood, which usually means bad things. So we open up the new episode with that. He's picking up right where he left off. He's having crazy dreams about digging holes in the middle of nowhere and then waking up in his bed, but then checking out his hands and seeing that his nails still have like dirt under them. His boots are caked in dirt. He's like, and he's trying to figure out like what's going on. And he spends a lot of the episode trying to fight the fact that this is happening, but also trying to protect his friends. Like he doesn't want to tell them what's going on. He kind of wants to fix it himself. So he's, he's taping up his phone to his chest so he can track his locations. He's trying to get, get more information about what's going down. We see the return of Grams for him, Grams and Manfred, who I loved. I loved Grams. I love that he had this old woman who also used to be a psychic following him around. I don't like that they throw the word gypsy around a lot. Now that I know more about gypsy history, I don't like that they keep throwing this word around. Then, So I'm just not gonna dive into that. But I like that they show her coming back and giving him good advice at first. We quickly realize she's not really there. It's part of a figment of his imagination because he's starting to go crazy. He's starting to hallucinate because of all of the after energy that's still in him from all the demon possession he had just encountered. So we find out that he may not be like fully possessed by a demon exactly, but that the residual energy of all of those demons being in him is enough to kind of create its own thing which is bad, which is terrible. He speaks to a previous uh, ancestor of his who did something similar and was going through something similar where he was losing time and black liquid was coming out of him all the time. Uh, and he's basically like, like, what did you do for it? And he's like, I put a bullet in my head. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I resolved this. Bam. How Manfred gets his stuff resolved is odd. And I feel like it leaves it open for it to happen again, but sure. I mean, he has this whole moment where he's trying to hide it. Eventually this thing fully takes over him. It, he goes after Creek in this form. Creek is already on edge. Creek has been going through it. First season, Creek finds out her brother is a sadistic killer. Human, not a monster, not any kind of being, just a psycho who considers himself an alpha predator because sure, mm-hmm, yeah, he's been murdering girls like left and right. She finds that out. She almost gets attacked by him, barely makes it out. They end up having to put her brother down, down hard. She finds out her father also knew about this this entire time and that's why he's been the way he has. He's a drunk and he's just like always angry and out of it and we find out that the reason he's like that is because that's how he copes with the fact that his son is a psycho murderer. So, hey. So she's already like on edge. Like she can't deal with anything else besides this. She's trying to look for a new start. There's too many memories in Midnight. She doesn't like being where she is. So she had this whole plan to leave, start somewhere new, get some classes under her belt. And she wanted Manfred to come with her. 
Then Manfred gets all sneaky-like because he's dealing with this weird possession situation and not telling anybody what's happening. And it's too much for her. She's like, I need to do this by myself. I'm like, everything, after everything's said and done, he gets cured, which I'll go back to in a second. She basically tells him she's done. She can't be with somebody who's going to continue to lie. She can't be in this town. She's out. She out. Boom. And like I said, the previous articles have said that she wasn't going to be sticking around for the show anyway. So I was like, oh, okay. She out. If you look at IMDb, she's got two more episodes on the show. So I'm a little confused as to how that's going to play out. Maybe flashbacks. Maybe a long drawn out for her to leave. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand why we need her, but neither here nor there. So that's happening with those two. Um, Matt, Fred and Creek as a couple, I just never really got on board with. I mean, Charlene Harris has a trope of creating these waitress characters who who kind of play your everyday character. They play your average Jane. They're just the regular girl who happens to be in a world of supernatural things. They're usually super smart. They know how to handle themselves to a degree because they still have to get saved by whoever the super of the week is. I just, no shade to the actress or even the storytelling of it. I just never really vibed with them as a couple. I was never like, ooh, this has to happen. Definitely not the way I felt about Fiji getting with Bobo and definitely not the way I feel about Olivia and Lem being together. Like even the chemistry between Olivia and Lem in that first season, it's kind of like here and there. Like you get moments of like, ooh, okay, I can see that this is a couple. And then you've got moments where you're like, oh, these are two strangers pretending to be a couple. Like even with that awkwardness, I believe them more than I did Manfred and Creek, who I just never got on board with. Anywho, or maybe because they're just boring. I don't know. I just never, never got hooked in or what's the word? Invested in this in this couple them so so her leaving i'm just like okay well yeah i mean things happen who knows but that's that's pretty much it so basically what cures manfred is the newcomer we have a newcomer to midnight texas they opened up this spa they bought out this hotel that used to be in town that is clearly haunted to do their spa and when we introduce the characters their names are kai and patience and patience is the woman i talked about that's in all the promo photos with like her hand on manfred uh she's married to the man named kai and kai has some kind of healing ability so he like touches people kisses kisses them for some reason and is able to fix them and that's how he fixed manfred so there was a whole scene where like olivia who understandably doesn't trust anything uh, gets the group to go into the spa to check it out. And they witness Kai get somebody from a wheelchair to walk again. And clearly you could be like, he got an actor. This may not be real. Yada, yada, yada. They like they start explaining away a lot of the uh, miracles he's performing, which understandably makes sense. But then he goes and tries to help Manfred with his demon issue. And he does. Like Manfred is fully freaking out, going full demon. They get bits and pieces of real Manfred coming in who's just telling them to like end it, shoot him, kill him, do what you got to do because there's no way out for him. And then this Kai guy comes, kisses him. No more demon stuff. Done. It was a random anticlimactic tidying up of what was happening to Manfred. And yeah, I mean, that was it. That was it. I mean, we got a little more into the mystery of Kai. So clearly we're going to be 
looking into exactly what Kai has behind this painting. So there was a whole part where Olivia snuck into the spa afterwards and sees Kai talking to a painting, like a whole beloved narrative, just like, beloved, we're finally here. We're starting new, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it looks like he's talking to a painting. And then at the end of the episode, after he's kissed Manfred and fixed him, he goes back to the painting and he's like, we're finally gonna be able to do this. And he slides the painting to the side. We find out there's a whole hidden storage space behind the painting and there's a head in a cage. Okay, okay. The head doesn't look human, so there's that. Um, but yeah, so that's what they're doing there. I don't, clearly Kai is doing something and for all intents and purposes from that photo, it doesn't look like Kai's gonna be sticking around at some point. Like patience is a bigger placement in the photo than Kai is. So questions, a thousand of them. Who knows what's happening with Kai? Uh, is, is, is she gonna be the new couple for man? For, uh, more questions. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. On to the other couples of midnight. We've got Bobo and Fiji still doing their love thing, going at it really hard. And I would argue really, really fast. So like I said, it was a slow buildup for Fiji all of first season. She had loved Bobo from afar for a really long time. She was trying to be there for him as a friend. She was friends with his, or tried to be, friends with his initial girlfriend. We had a whole thing of Bobo and this other girl that he had been with for a little bit. The whole point of the first season was figuring out who murdered that girlfriend, because she just disappeared. And then they found her dead body and they were trying to figure out what was going on. Apparently, this girl was not a good deal and she had only snuck into Bobo's life to like start havoc. So. Uh, after all of those you know, revelations and Bobo and Fiji getting closer and closer, and then the revelation that she was this you know, virgin witch that was you know part of this plot for this demon to come back, you see them get closer and closer, and then they got together, and then like you know to help stop the demon from taking over, they had to have sex, and it kind of kicked off their relationship. So they got together, they became a couple, and now we're seeing them in their full lovey-dovey couple phase. They are floating in air, having sex. Very out of uh, that sci-fi show, The Magicians. Very out of The Magicians. I'll take, okay, interesting. I see the trend. But also they're like moving crazy fast. Like Fiji gives him a key to her home and he gives a moment of hesitation, but then quickly he's like, no, this is great. Yeah, can't wait to have a key to your house. And then we get to see, uh, we get to a scene towards the end where, you know, she's like, oh, here we go. First moments where you can just like come and go as you please to my place. They start making out and all the plants in her observatory start just wilting away and dying at a rapid pace. So bad omen, that's happening. May not be because they're a couple, definitely implied it's because they're a couple, but it definitely could be because of a different balance happening at midnight. It wouldn't be the first time it was a redirect, but that's really it for them. Uh, also with Olivia and Lem, we find out they've got a psychic connection. So at the end of the first season, Olivia got crazy hurt in their fight against Kokonar. She got put into the hospital and it didn't really look like she was gonna make it. Her her wound was pretty bad, but Lem was not gonna let her die that way. He loves her and she loves him. So he gave her vampire blood to help heal her because we're still following true blood rules. But because of that now, they're not connected. Also. True bud rules. So now they're have this they have a psychic connection where he knows her needs and her wants without her having to say anything. And you see the perks of that. She gets some perks with that. 
being with somebody who knows her needs and wants before she does. A girl, girl. She got a nice bubble bath. She got some other nice stuff. I'm just saying, not bad. But clearly you can see how it's gonna bite them in the ass as well. He's, they're constantly in, they're just gonna be constantly connected nonstop. She's not gonna have a whole lot of space. And I don't think it works both ways. So I think he can tell all that stuff, but she can't tell anything about what's going on with him. So it's very one-sided. And clearly it's gonna be a problem in the next episode. Like that's the hint we're getting. But other than that, they're the stablest of the couples. We've got Joe and Chewy who were my favorite couple. This is a, a, is he a fallen angel? Maybe. This was an angel who was sent to earth to to start murdering demons. And then at some point just stayed on earth. I don't know if he was supposed to go back to heaven at some point or if he got exiled out of heaven. Something happened, but he ended up on earth, fell in love with the demon, decided to make a go of it with this demon. He, he's been with Chewie. I want to say married to Chewie for the better part of a millennia. Like they've been together a long ass time. And they're both people who have been dealing with the darker sides to their abilities and trying their best to kind of navigate that. Chewie is a half human, half demon who's crazy powerful, but you know, also murdery. So problems. And he hates that side of him. He tries to keep that at bay at all times. And they love each other. Like the first season was so cute. They were just there for each other, very concerned with each other, saving each other. Like that was the whole first season. And now it looks like Chewie's going to be going away. The first, this episode back did not indicate they had any kind of problems at all, but they introduced us to somebody new. We got introduced to this demon killer uh, who I have no, oh, his name is Walker. Last name only. He is very, he, he just, he just abruptly came into the storyline. Like they show them at the bar and this demon like gets into it with Joe. Joe's like, whatever, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to fight you. And then of course the fight happens anyway. He ends up going outside to drop off some trash. Demon finds him and it's a whole fight. Two other demons pop out of nowhere. I don't know where they came from. A fight, 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 fight. And then this Walker guy just shows up and it's like, all right, if we're fighting, I might as well join. Kind of weird situation. They quickly establish he's got a history with demons. He knows how to fight them. He knows how to take them, take them down. He's got insane tech that can rip demon hearts out of their bodies. Because apparently that's how you put a demon down. Just ripping hearts out of bodies. And also that he's human. So they also establish that he's a human hunter going after these demons. And he knows who Joe is. He's like, I can't believe I'm in a, you know, a, a actual battle, fisticuff, I don't know, with Joe Strong. And I'm like, who is this person? Why are we getting so much information? And then that's it. We don't go back to Walker. We don't get any more information. We don't see another moment where Joe's like, what the fuck? Why are you here? Nothing. There's just this one scene and then we go into the rest of the story. It's, it's uh, okay. And in the promo photos, look up these promo photos. Joe uh, is with Walker and Walker is just like on this dude, like running on him, hugging him out. Clearly taking the place of Chewie. What is happening? So I hope they go into explanation as to what's going to go down because the pictures in this episode back, not answering a lot of my questions. Not answering a lot of my questions. The nice thing I like about the Charlene Harris stories and Midnight Texas and True Blood, you get an overarching story. So you get a big bad that they've got to deal with for the full season. And then you get these little mini 
issues they deal with on an episode to episode basis. That's usually how I like these types of stories. Superhero stories, supernatural stories like this. I like it when we have this one goal that everybody's working towards while also dealing with these little minor ones in between. That's cool. That's great. Helps with the pacing for me. And that's what we're getting with Midnight Texas and it's returned back. So I'm interested to see what this all means, where this is going to go. It is on a terrible time slot. It's on Fridays. It's on Fridays on NBC. Oh, NBC. Why don't you just keep it a summer show? Why did we bring it into the fall just to put you on Fridays? Girl. Anyway, I don't know. Hopefully it lives. Hopefully there's enough people on board to keep the show alive because it's really good. I really like it so far. But yeah, so I'm going to be jumping into the Netflix series that dropped with Daredevil and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina right after this. What up, everybody? It is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I just want to take a moment to talk to you guys about ForAllNerds.com. So you guys know, if you've been listening, I am a contributor, or was a contributor, to a lovely podcast slash pop culture media sensation called FanBros.com. They've recently gone through a name change because... This one's just better, and it is called ForAllNerds.com. They are still doing the podcast also under the For All Nerds name, so you should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Your girl has recently been elevated in title, so I am now the fashion and lifestyle editor for ForAllNerds.com. So if you get the chance, absolutely take it. go ahead and check it out. Check out the website. It's fancy and new. It's just so shiny and bright. I've got articles there. My first ever interview is there. It's done with Marcy Harrell if you get the chance. I also have my regular fandom fashion breakdowns, and I'm trying to do something a little newer by including articles about where you can buy already ready-made geek fantastic outfits at stores that are centered around that dynamic. So check out ForAllNerds.com. Check out their podcast, For All Nerds. Get in on this geeky information, this geeky insight. It is told by geeks of color from the perspective of nerds of color, because yes, all of the things and whatnot. All right, real quick thoughts on Daredevil. So Daredevil season three dropped last weekend for now, oh, weekend before, weekend before last for Netflix. Um, and it came out right as all the terrible news was dropping about all the other canceled MCU shows, Marvel shows. Iron Fist, I wasn't crying over. Let's not lie. I didn't, everybody knows who's been listening. I did not, I wasn't a fan. I don't care about Iron Fist, Coachella Fist, whatever you want to call him. Wasn't a fan. Second season, I will admit, was definitely better than the first season. But also, that's not saying a lot. The first season was terrible. So, for me, I wasn't shedding any tears over the cancellation of Iron Fist. But then they canceled Luke Cage. And now, and now the feelings. So, there's rumors, there's tons of speculation going because Disney is dropping their own streaming service um, that, you know, these guys, these shows might be coming back or they might be coming back in a different iteration. We might get um, Heroes for Hire, which is a team up of Iron Fist and Luke Cage. We might even be getting a Daughters of the Dragon situation because with no Iron Fist, there's no Colleen Wing. And for a lot of people, that's what's upsetting is that they're not, <coughs> we're not going to get a Colleen Wing, so... Um, I'm just, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if uh, this is going to go over to, to this Disney side of things. 
it's Disney. Like these shows are not PG thirteen. These shows, <laughs> these shows, with the violence and situations that are in them, definitely more on R than they are anything else. So I don't know how well this would work if they switch it over to Disney, unless they're doing like a separate tier in that Disney streaming service. I don't, I don't think that they're coming back to be honest in any capacity. Um, and I think it's going to be a slow, a, yeah, a slow cancellation in regards to the rest of the MCU. I mean, this returning season of Daredevil for me was one of the better seasons of Daredevil. I wasn't a fan of the second season. I know a lot of people loved it because it gave us Frank Castle. It gave us, um, I want to call her Katana. That's not her name though. So, um, what is her name? I don't know. Electra. There you go. It gave us Electra. I I wasn't a fan. I, I mean, other than the introduction of Frank Castle, I didn't. I could care less. So right now, Netflix still has another season of Punisher to, to drop, another season of Jessica Jones to drop, and another. Oh no, they haven't talked about Daredevil. So that's it. Just Jessica Jones and Punisher. So we'll see how that's going to work. They definitely said they're not, or they haven't officially stated that Defenders is not coming back, but Defenders is not coming back. So there's that. So we'll see. But uh, anyway, on to Daredevil season three. So the reason I liked this season better than like the second season was because I felt it was more focused on Matt again. We weren't busy trying to establish a bunch of other characters. We weren't busy diving too deep into the back history of Matt because We've spent a nice bit of time as to how Matt became Daredevil in the first season. And we got even more information on like how he uh, got taught his relationships with his mentor and that type of ridiculousness in the second season. So I felt like us getting this new season and this new struggle with Matt, it was it was refreshing for me. It was nice to see him kind of go back to his roots back to that black costume of like a simple crew neck sweater some pants and that blindfold over another blindfold like the the double um and seeing kingpin again i love kingpin i love the guy who plays kingpin he's just a dynamic villain for me and i loved the manipulation we especially got even with the wife even with kingpin's wife that was nice to see I loved the setup of how much Kingpin actually loved his wife, Vanessa, and just how on board Vanessa was. Like, she played it off like this artist critiquer, or what's the word? Can't even think of what her actual position is. But, you know, but playing like this smooth, sophisticated of a woman, and then her falling in love with this man, this clearly very powerful, but very scary, and at times violent man, never to her, he never hurt her, but capable of hurting people type of man and then her just going like full 100 on him and being like i'm down for all of it for all of it we murdering people i'm in like <laughs> like whatever whatever we got to do i'm there and on the one hand it was like you got a good one you have a good one kingpin but on the other hand it was like oh my god what did, what is happening what did you do so that being said, we got a lot more Kingpin. They gave us the introduction of, what's his face? Bullseye. Bullseye? It's not Target. It's Bullseye. We got the buildup around Bullseye. So he didn't actually call himself Bullseye yet. Uh, his name was Ben Poindexter. 
aka Dext. At first I thought they made up that name, but that's the name from the actual comic character. So, okay. And it was played by the guy I know as Wade from uh, that other show on CW. What was it called? Heart of Dixie? Heart of Dixie. He was, in the- <laughs> he was on that show. Terror. The show is, okay, the show is good, but it's definitely soapy CW good. Like, we're going to give you a love triangle. We're going to give you a character that hates the other character for no reason other than because they hate this character. And then we're going to watch him fall in love. Enjoy. So, I mean, he killed it. He killed it as Wade. I loved his character. He definitely has a knack for giving you layers into somebody where you know that you shouldn't like them, but then you find yourself siding with them. And they did a really good job of that with Bullseye. This is a character who's dealing with a lot, a lot. Apparently he's been a killer since a child, but they don't paint him as just a one-toned villain. They paint him as somebody who was definitely struggling with that darker part of himself and didn't really have access to a lot of tools on how to do that. And when he did manage to find something that was working for him, he lost it and him having to deal with that and his struggle to try to maintain some sort of structure so that he didn't fall back into that darkness. Brilliant, brilliant. And I love how that story played out with Matt, that juxtaposition of them both struggling. I really liked it. I really, really liked it. The things I didn't like about Daredevil were the Karen storylines. Karen, I mean, I'm glad they gave us a standalone and gave us more information on Karen's background because up until then, she's just kind of been this person who showed the hell up and they were like, okay, we'll help you out on something and now you can join our team. Like that's pretty much the setup for Karen and then she just got real bold and brave with shit and was like, I can do anything, very Lois Lane of her when really she can do nothing. She can't do anything. So, I mean, on the one hand, they really tried to showcase her being her own person like you know she knows matt can do ridiculous stuff to save himself with his ridiculous abilities but you also have foggy who also can really handle himself at least in the legal aspect of things he's he really knows his stuff as a lawyer and then you have karen who starts out as a reporter but it just becomes a hot mess when she gets into whatever it was that she was trying to prove. And and it wasn't really clear as to why she jumped into the deep end of crazy towards the middle of the season. I wasn't 100% in understanding as to why she was just like being so stupid reckless when it came to getting these leads and chasing down people. And they try to frame it with her history with Kingpin and how, you know, she got tortured that one time. but they also kind of like alluded to her her feelings around Matt, not necessarily romantic, but like Kingpin taking something away from Matt, which meant that that portion of Matt was taken away from her. Kind of did. It felt like that was the implication. I don't know. I don't know. It got really weird. And then it just got really, it got really, I don't want to say annoying because she's the only female character that they really focused on. But it was, we just had a lot of like whiny, cryy moments with Karen. And I wasn't sure why we were having them or what the, I mean, she was the root of them. Like I didn't understand why or how I was supposed to feel about these, these moments she kept having when she was the reason she was having those moments. It wasn't like she was being attacked or being chased or somebody else was actively trying to place her in these positions. She was choosing to put herself in these things. So I didn't understand 
what was happening there or what was going on with that. And like I said, her the standalone episode did give us a lot more information with her and how like, you know, she was trying to escape one situation that she had kind of got twisted into. And I, I feel like you know, we got we got some good information on it, but I didn't know what why we needed it right then. Why did why did we need this full backstory now? We are three seasons in. What where was this story before? I don't I don't know. Anyway, but other than that, other than that, everything else was good. I mean, I know that there were some complaints about the foggy kind of standalone stuff we got, meeting his family, his dynamic with his living girlfriend. I loved all of it. I loved all of that with Foggy. But then again, I am biased because this is Fulton Reed from Mighty Ducks fame. Um, if you don't know what Mighty Ducks is, I highly suggest you go and rent this movie. Quack, 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 quack. That's not even how they say it. Quack, quack. There you go. Yep, I'm sleepy. Anyway, quack, quack. But yeah, so I'm heavily biased. This is, this is a character I had a huge crush on growing up and now he's like a full-grown adult still cute still so cute and like in this show i don't care what he's doing he could just be talking about sandwiches the whole time and i'd be like yes this is interesting we need to watch more of this biased that aside i liked that we got his backstory i like that we learned that he has a whole family living in the same city who's running a deli it's a deli it's not a restaurant right is that it? i think it's a deli um and how like you know he is seems like he's the, the oldest boy and they wanted him to take up the shop but he had grander plans he wanted to be a lawyer and he's got a younger brother who ended up taking a spot for him the younger brother was cute too i like the dynamic between them and how they tied that story into the wilson wilson fisk aka kingpin storyline i thought they did a good job with that um and i was rooting for foggy to get like he you know he's trying to run for attorney not attorney general was it attorney general district attorney something something attorney uh i was rooting for him and i love that his girlfriend was like so gung-ho and really supportive of his decisions even when he decided later to like not really do that and she was like oh okay <laughs> so like i like that he's got this person that he can rely on and who who really gets them so that was it was cute it was nice to have foggy have his own little thing outside of matt and karen adorable uh i love that we got to meet matt's mother and we got the story behind that i was really scared that the story was gonna get real rapey like it was gonna wasn't gonna be a good one it was a bittersweet one which i preferred i mean well prefer to rape absolutely but not in like a you know long distance star-crossed lover's way it was like a lust thing which is so real like you had these two people who uh found each other to be very very exciting they're from completely different worlds she was training to be a nun he was a boxer and you know you see the dynamic and that spark but also the reality that that spark is not going to be enough to sustain a lifetime of in a relationship it's it's not also i think they kind of played into postpartum depression like right after she has the baby she kind of gets into this like i don't want to say funk but like this state of just of just not caring and being listless and not knowing what to do her whole identity and focus had been around serving the church and now here she was with a baby that as an as a rule most nuns can't have babies when you're a part of that so you get this you get her feeling lost and i love that they summed all of that up 
pretty quickly. We didn't need seven episodes of this. They managed to wrap this up pretty quickly. I liked all that. The unveiling, Matt finding out the truth about his mom. Boom, boom, boom. Cool. Um, What else? But also just really good. The final face-off between Daredevil and, and Fisk. You know, I was reading a lot of recaps and a lot of people weren't feeling it with his like random shouting and crying, but I liked it. I liked that final showdown. It had, it was, I feel like this was like a cold war more than it was uh, your usual daredevil kind of build up and fight. It was very much like, this is something that we've been battling this entire time. And I love that they had most of his fights with, with Kingpin in his head. He was dealing with the Kingpin in his head the whole time. So when he finally faces the actual Kingpin, he's just unloading all of this baggage and doubt that he had since facing off with him before. And I, I liked that. I like that it blurred between his actual, uh, experiences with real life Kingpin and the stuff that he'd been building up in his head this whole time. I like that. I like that culmination and that's breakthrough and him realizing that he finally finished this chapter. He's finally done with this chapter. It's Marvel. So, I mean, it's not, so it's, it's a to be continued either way, but for the most part, done. Really liked that. I also liked the whole, oh, well, okay. How do I phrase this? Just all, just a lot of it. I liked all the side stories. I loved the bullseye stuff. Uh, the bittersweetness of him, like really love. I don't even know if love is the word, but being infatuated with this one chick because of her goodness. And it wasn't necessarily in a sexual predator way. Predator for sure, but not in like a sexual way. It was more like he was enamored with the fact that she was able to make these decisions, these what he felt were good decisions on her own. Yes, he was a stalker. He completely was, totally a stalker. And yeah, it could definitely have gone south really, really fast. But I mean, I also like that she was a component that got taken away because he wasn't gonna go and get twisted to what he needed to be to be Bullseye without that. Did they need to set it up that way with with this particular storyline? No, they did not need to have a female counterpart come into his life only to be taken away. It is a trope that gets told a lot. She literally ended up dead in a freezer. There's a whole women in refrigerators trope that people critique a lot when it comes to comics, early day comics even now, where basically they just set up a female storyline. She's not her own character at all. She's just there to create some sort of chaos and then uh, continue on story. And that is essentially what this girl was. She, she just showed a hell up. They were like, yeah, there might be some history there. Let's kill her instantly. Okay, go. Um... But, I mean, all that being said, the fight scenes to me weren't the greatest. There were moments where it was really good, like the scenes with uh, Dex versus Matt. Those scenes were pretty good, but like the, the normal hallway scenes, the normal like a bunch of people coming at Matt one time type of scenes, you could see where the punches were being pulled. You could see where the choreography was supposed to be set up so that it looked fluid, but it wasn't necessarily being translated that way for me so it's a it's a nitpicky thing but it that was there but overall I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed Daredevil season three I hope it gets a Daredevil season four I hope they get to introduce something else 
But who knows? Who knows with everything else that's going on? I don't know if that's actually going to drop or not. So that being said, let's, let's go ahead and move on to uh, the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Holy shit, guy. What? Holy shit. So this show was not what I was expecting at all. As I said in the beginning, my experiences with Sabrina the Teenage Witch was the TV movie with an early Ryan Reynolds. Google it. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. The movie that then catapulted catapulted the TV series because I am that kind of 90s nostalgia nerd. I remember the made-for-TV movie that was Sabrina the Teenage Witch and then it became Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the TV series. I remember there was a different Harvey and Ryan Reynolds. So anyway, so my my experiences with this particular character, this particular Archie character was from Archie Comics where she just played this like sweet, kind of goofy, silly girl who could do magic where you had Hilda and Zelda who were literally crones. They were literally old women with the black pointy hats and just red hair and looking very cronish trying to teach her stuff and a talking black cat like that's it that's all it was just very like kind of gee golly wow kind of kick you know kitschy i don't know making up words but something like that but this show is completely different so it's based off of the comic series the showing adventures of sabrina which is is noted to take a darker turn uh apparently this came out right after the archie after afterlife series which also was supposed to be was also really dark a really dark series about zombies and other things i didn't read either series i knew about them and i knew they were taking a darker turn i'm quite familiar with the archie comics as somebody who really liked those types of stories but didn't have easy access to a comic book store archie comics were easy to get because they sold them in the grocery stores so I read a lot of them that way and I got really into the Betty Veronica juggle, jughead hilariousness, Reggie stuff. I still feel like Reggie's undersold. He's, he needs to have his moment. But anyway, uh, neither here nor there. Sabrina, I know that she doesn't live in Riverdale. She lives in Greendale. So I was very interested to see where we're going with this this television series. The trailers, to their credit, only show, I mean, they showed moments of it being dark. But it did not prepare me for what's happening in the actual season. You guys, they just dive deep into occultism, deep into Satanism, deep, <laughs> deep into this whole religion built around Lucifer. I'm just like, yo, hard, hardcore, like to the point where I felt a little uncomfortable. Like I'm not a super religious person, but I was like, we are talking about Satan a lot in this <laughs> in this show in this show but they're supposed to so it was enough to get me interested in reading the comic book series there's a trade back right now with the first i want to say first five books of the series compiled which i bought to devour so i'm reading that right now there's different differences between the comic book and the tv series apparently there's a lot of storylines in the comic book that they just did not touch for the tv series apparently some with for some good reason uh, but for some of, for some others, people feel like they should have figured out a way to include them because without them, the story isn't as as rich. I don't know. I'm still reading that comic. But the TV show for me, I liked. I liked the girl who played Sabrina. And I know some people had qualms with her playing Sabrina. Like she, they felt like it, depending on 
what they were watching or how she was, whatever the episode was running, she kind of took them out of the story for a little bit because they felt like they could see her acting rather than experiencing her acting. I didn't get any of that. I thought she did a pretty good job of playing this young girl who feels like she's indestructible, no rules apply to her, and then finally realizing, oh, that's right, there's consequences to shit. Ah, yeah. And that's the biggest takeaway I got from Sabrina. It's very much a coming of age story about a young woman, but it's also, it also tapped into a bunch of stuff. They talk about feminism, they talk about, uh, not really race, but definitely they talked about uh, being non-binary living in a world where you're non-binary. I love the aesthetic they gave it. They very, because Sabrina, Archie, they all kind of came up in like the 50s into the 60s, that time period. And the aesthetic around the TV series was very much that. A lot of the uh, outfit choices, the costuming they did for the characters were definitely rooted in that. Sabrina for sure was giving you major Audrey Hepburn. Definitely some, maybe some Jane Fonda if you looked at it in a different way. A little bit of that, but definitely giving you that that mod vibe. Harvey too. They're giving them classic cars. I don't. I'm not a fan of giving them classic cars. They make it look like it's mad easy. You get you a classic car, you just be driving it and be cool. Their work, their work. They don't have the pieces for these cars anymore. You gotta like special order shit and do all kinds of things. It's not like you could just take that to a gas station and just fill her up normally. That's Anyway, that's a minor gripe, but <laughs> but rest of show, pretty good. They did a nice little diversity. We got a nice little diversity casting. Um, we actually had a bad witch who was a, a black one, a black witch. We actually had an Asian witch in the show. Granted, they played villains, but they were there. I'm excited. I was, and they stuck around. They could have killed all of them off. They're sticking around for a little bit. I'm like, okay. I'm here for this. I like the duality of her having to deal with this group that is so off the path, so off the path of normal for people uh, and her feelings around that and even her hesitancy towards this group because she really wants to fit in with the friends she's making, she's made on the human spectrum of stuff. The whole story buildup is around the fact that she is half witch half human and in this particular world if you're a witch you are not mortal you sign away i'm pretty sure your soul to (laughs) to satan uh in order to get a ridiculous power and longer life essentially um but for the most part apparently within that world this magic world you only marry other magics other witches or warlocks keep it moving but sabrina's instance was different her father for the show fell in love with a human and that's what they did as the rest of the show starts to unravel there's definitely like some flags on the play about what her father was actually doing like was this for the better good or was this because he was trying to do something else we find out he wrote her name in the book of souls book of book of something anyway he basically signed her up to have her soul taken by satan at some point that was in there and they had to fight that. We find that her mother had her baptized in order to save her soul without telling her father. More confusion there. What? Um, but yeah, there's a lot of mystery around the parentage of Sabrina. Like what exactly her father wanted her to do. Her father is the magic one. He's a warlock. He used to be a high priest. 
whether he was a good person or not, it's kind of up in the air. Uh, apparently, if you read the comic, it's very clear what type of person he is, apparently. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm getting a lot of hints. I haven't gotten there all the way. But for the show, they, yeah, they definitely made him look like he was an upstanding guy. And now he's not there. And now they're just trying to figure out what to do. Same thing with her mother. She seemed to be a fantastic person. And then gone. They may have been murdered. They may have been in an accident. Who knows? Clearly someone knows. But they haven't unveiled it for the show. Uh, we also have moments where Sabrina's got to choose between her friends. Like your standard. Can I do this and do this and keep the secret? Not keep the secret. Get everything unleashed. You get all of that teen angst back and forth. But it felt refreshing. Not in like a really annoying Riverdale way I said it I said Riverdale way where they're just dwelling on it forever but more of like a, what can I really handle and what can I do and at first it seems like Sabrina is untouchable she can do a bunch of stuff she's questioning a bunch of things and getting her way she's winning in a lot of these arguments and she gets to a point where she feels like to steal like a really old term she's too big for her britches she feels like she can do anything Turns out she can't to horrifying consequences. A lot of things change by the end of the season. She's got human friends that now know the entire truth about her. Uh, it's not that they hate her, but now they're just kind of like in a different space because this is somebody they had trusted. And these are characters who, for a nice change of pace, are very open and honest about everything that's happening to them to each other so they've been sharing everything and sabrina's been keeping this secret and then you've got sabrina who's got to come to terms with the decision she makes in order to save her friends and the town and her family and whatever whatever she ultimately ends up making a huge sacrifice and that sacrifice means that she cannot be with that group anymore they end it with her apparently just going full witch and kind of taken on a, a more sinister vibe of things. Her and st stuff with her and Harvey have ended. Yidi yada, yidi yada, whatever. I'm not sure why we made Harvey a witch hunter, but okay. So we made him a witch hunter. Uh, her other friend, Roz, who is a black woman, she gets something called a cunning. So she gets foresight of some sort. She's slowly going blind. But apparently her, in her family lineage, the women of the family go blind due to a curse that they got from a witch for some reason. And, but in the meantime, they get cunning. They get this foresight. So they get to see deeper into the future or deeper into the meanings of things. And she starts getting that. And they, they kind of give it a purpose, but kind of don't at the same time. And then we also have Susie. Susie is the non-binary character. And at first they make it seem like we're going to learn more about Susie and how this aspect of her life really affects her growing up. Instead, they just kind of corner it into being like, this is why she gets beat up and moving on. So, I mean, I like that they gave her an ancestor who also didn't follow like the binary status quo. She this person was also non-binary-esque for you know frontier times and did a bunch of stuff, but I'm not sure why we needed it. Like, why did we need this ghost story? exactly randomness um but yeah there's a lot of satan in this show 
There was I can't get over that. There was a lot of Satan in this show. So I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that part of the story at all. It was very scary. It was very freaky. (laughs) But I binge watched this. The storytelling in this was really easy to follow, really easy to get caught up in. I'm definitely gonna be watching it again. I'm gonna be re-watching this series. It would it I liked it. It was struck a chord with me. I really liked it. Granted, all of the scariness aside. I I can't wait to see the rest of this. So apparently this is part one and part two. Who knows when it's going to drop? This is Netflix timeline. I don't know when that's going to drop. But hopefully soonish. Soonish, I want to say. It it gave me Stranger Things vibes with with, with a Riverdale touch, which, yeah, about par for the course. They've talked about a crossover between Sabrina and and Riverdale happening. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to get that done. But sure. We'll see. We'll see how that works. But that's pretty much it. That's going to wrap it up for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Did you guys catch Sabrina? Were you ready for all of that, Lucifer? Um, <laughs> what did you think of Daredevils? A lot of people, it seems like the Daredevil spectrum seems to be like either you liked it or you didn't. So let me know if you guys liked it in any capacity or if you were like, this was the weakest of the week. What not? Are you guys going to be catching up on Midnight Texas? Um, uh, more shows that I also cover. Uh, no, I told you I gave up on The Good Place. I know they did some, they did some twists and turns, but I, I feel like the good place for me is better as a binge. That's that's how I watched the first season and how I watched the second season. So I'm probably just going to let this go and then try to binge it at a later time. Uh, but I think that's it. I'm trying to think if there's any other shows I talk about. Oh, I still haven't gone over Doctor Who. I'm still saving that for like a full episode of just Doctor Who at some point. So I'll be getting into that. And Or Charmed. Charmed, I'm really trying to give it a chance. I'm really trying to give it a chance. So I'm also probably going to let that roll out a little bit more and try to binge some some episodes and see where that goes. But otherwise, yeah, that's going to be it. Um, I'm going to be coming back with more DCTV next week. Let me know if there's any other shows you think I should be checking out. You guys can reach me at curvygeekyfangirl at gmail.com or you can hit me up on my socials. I'm on Twitter pretty actively. It's the one social I am consistent with. So you can hit me, find me at Curvy Kiki Fangirl, which is C-U-R-V-Y-G-E-E-K-Y and then F-N-G-R-L. So Fangirl, there's no vowels because character limits. Um, otherwise, you can find me at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com or over at For, for All Nerds. Uh, so I have been roped into taking pictures for Halloween. So those are going to be posted, posted up at some point on my Instagram or people of color Instagram. That's another podcast I do with my friend. If you guys want to check that out. And that's just two women of color going in about pop culture stuff. So just more talking. Um, But yeah, that's going to be it until next time. I hope you guys have a good week. Bye.